B-Cinema Talks with your hosts Tina Desiree Berg and Jason LaCory. My name is Frank Walker. Life has never been easy for me. I have no job, no friends, no girlfriend. But then everything changed when I met Charlie. Hi guys, welcome to B-Cinema Talks. Um, I'm here with my co-host, Tina Desiree Berg, and our guest today is Tom Ryan of Theater of Terror, and uh, he's here to tell us about the anthology they're working on. Tom, how you doing? I'm doing good, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Hi, Tina. Thanks for having me on. Hey! Absolutely. Um, yeah, so we're working on an anthology, and... Um, it's uh, four short films inspired by the likes of classic television shows like The Twilight Zone, The Outer Limits, Tales from the Dark Side, uh, Dark Gallery. Um, we really wanted to kind of capture that classic um, sci-fi, horror, thriller, dark drama feel of those television shows. Uh, so we set out to uh, shoot four 20-minute short films, which uh, combined will make up our anthology. <laughs> We're actually getting ready to shoot the fourth film. Um, that's okay. going to be at the end of uh, June. We're going to start shooting the fourth. The other three have already been shot. Uh, the Indiegogo is actually wrapped up uh, for about two or three weeks now. Okay, so you're funded on the fourth one now. Why don't you tell us a little bit about each of them? Uh, if you, I got to see two of them. But, you know, okay. just give us a quick rundown on the, on the fourth. Yeah, so the the gift is our opening uh, short, and uh, the gift is uh, very much a dark drama. It centers around um, a woman named Donna, that's played by actress Heather Britton O'Scanlan, um, and it's kind of a reflection of the the mistakes that she's made in her life. Without getting too deep into the storyline, um, it, it, it's kind of a story of redemption, but with a really twisted ending that kind of you know we we intended to really pull the punch in the gut. Um, and that was followed up by our second short film, The Bookworm, which centers around a character by the name of Mark Yeager uh, that's played um, by Scott Gorbach, who should be calling in later today as well. Um, 
And um, yeah, Mark. So Mark is the, the, the son of a of a wealthy family, um, and his father passes away and leaves him a, a bit of his um, inheritance, which Mark uses to buy a library, basically to escape his family, um, because he's not very happy um, in the kind of uh, material world that they live in. And um, so once again, that's got a nice kind of um, um, uh, a punch in the gut at the end of that story as well. We're, we're, we really kind of go for those. Um, not necessarily happy endings, not necessarily a sad ending, but more of a twisted ending. Um, and that's kind of what we threw into the bookworm there, where we delve into some um, uh, literal creatures. Um, and then the third short film that we worked on, I really wanted to do a sci-fi short, and that one is called Abducted. That turns around um, um, a fellow by the name of Ned, uh, played by Russell Hackett, who's also one of the producers on our project. Um, and he experiences a, witnesses a UFO landing in the woods. Um, he ties it together with some missing persons that's been happening in the area lately, and he continues his investigations of this UFO landing. And um, that leads us to an ending that we don't expect as well. So um, that's kind of the types of stories that we're telling. Our fourth one that we're mm -hmm. getting ready to shoot is called Endangered. And um, in our, in our lead roles are um, Randy Mamoli. Lauren Rena and Mark Abbott and Alan Rope Kelly. Um, it's basically about pro these protesters that find out um, the small town mayor has commissioned hunters to clear the forest surrounding the town of the gray wolf population uh, who are endangered uh, to make way for a pipeline that's just been approved to come through and it's going to boost the economy of the town. And, and these um, protests break out when they find out these rumors, and the mayor, of course, denies everything. These protesters decide to take matters into their own hands, and so they go into the woods to confront these hunters, and um, um, that leads to um, some interesting uh, revelations about what's um, what's happening in the woods. So <laughs> we're not giving away too much. That's, uh, right. that's what I can tell you. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's tough with um, you know things that that have those kind of twists on them to tell the story. And it, it, the trailers have got to be hard to cut too for movies like that, you know. Yeah, um, it's, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just like, it's like the old Twilight Zone episodes where like people always they're like, do you know the episode? Blah, blah, blah. And the only way they really know to tell you is to tell you the ending. And you're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's true. Or what's like, going <laughs> Yeah, once, it's like if I manage to miss that on one of the thousands of New Year's Eve that I've seen it, now you've just ruined it for me. Right. But, you know, somewhere there's a six-year-old kid who hasn't seen it yet. Um, I, I think it's interesting that, you know, you – you um, mentioned all of those different classic uh, anthology shows that you drew, you know, inspiration from. The two movies that I saw distinctly struck me as um, a style, like, from one of those more than the others. You know what I mean? So, like, um, the, the gift, the gift kind of had that gallery thing going on. Miss Joan Crawford, Ossie Davis, Richard Kiley, Roddy McDowell, and Barry Sullivan, starring in the Night Gallery. I'm Rod Serling. I would like to invite you to join me for the telling of three stories represented in this gallery by these paintings to be displayed here for the first time. Each is a collector's item in its own way, not because of any special artistic quality, but because each captures on a canvas, suspends in time and space, a frozen moment in a nightmare. My abiding concern, Doctor, and my singular preoccupation is 
myself. 11 hours of 12, fewer or more, it makes no difference. I want to see something. Trees, concrete, buildings, grass, airplanes, colors! Now you look here, old man. Death is final. Death is it. I think not, Mr. Jeremy. I think there are things stronger than death and more lasting than the grave. Portafoy? I think hate is stronger than death, Mr. Jeremy. And I think you're beginning to realize that. <laughs> Join me for the unveiling at the night gallery. Mm, okay, yeah. Right, and, um, you know, Bookworm with the, the, the way stuff was going on behind him in there just had me with that, um, it, it kind of hit me like more of the 80s kind of deal with uh, monsters or, you know, Tales from the Dark Side, which you mentioned. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Great comparison, too. Yeah. You know, and it's, um, it, it, I think it's going to be a lot of fun for people who have seen those and then, you know, for people who haven't. So since you were kind of harkening back to those anthology shows, did you make a, a concerted effort to use, um, like, less CGI than people might, might expect from stuff now? Because the so, two that I saw didn't seem that, you know, CGI-laden. Mm-hmm. No, they, they actually had very little CGI. If there was any CGI in... in um, Either of the films, it was um, to cover something rather than create something. Right. Um, basically, covering a sign or a billboard to make it say something different or what have you. That that um, that is really the extent of it. We really wanted to stick with the practical effects. Um, not not only because I know so many wonderful practical effects artists that I love to work with that are in the indie horror community, and that you know they're always one. You know they always. Uh, assert their interest in working on projects like this. And um, that wasn't the only reason, but I'm a, I mean, I'm a real fan of tactical effects. Um, being, being that we're making low-budget indie films, that's really the best part of making low-budget indie films is when, you know, you, you have to be creative and you have to work with what mm-hmm. you've got and what resources you have. And... Um, you can really do some amazing things uh, when you put your mind to it as opposed to relying on EDI. Um, right. That's with right. That, with, with that said, I'm also not particularly um, – I, I do the editing for our films. And so um, maybe if I was better with um, After Effects, I'd do a little bit more CGI. <laughs> it's uh, – Everything would be green screen. <laughs> Everything would be green screen, you know. And uh, it, it, but, but it, it, in all honesty, all joking aside, I really honestly love the process of practical effects. Um, you know, seeing what's in front of you while you're shooting it, um, I, I feel actors react to that better. Um, mm-hmm. I know I enjoy it more when we're shooting the film. So for, for these, um, and, and from what you saw, uh, Jason, we um we had a lot of fun making some of those practical effects and um, um we thought they turned out really well and I also think the audience relates to stuff like that more. It's a little bit right. more tangible. Um yeah, yeah, practical effects in some cases when you're doing creatures or other things, sometimes they can be a little hokey. But I, I think for the most part it just allows the audience to uh, 
feel like it's really tangible and it's really there with the actor and interacting with them. And I think that makes, you know, horror movies a little bit more scary. Right. Well, it, with, Tina, with, with, uh, with her green screen joke there, she's making fun of me a little bit because the last movie we did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like... 50% of it, we wound up having a blue screen because every we, we scheduled people from out of town to film. Yeah. And then we got rained out. We got snowed on. And I'm like, all right, everybody into the blue studio. <laughs> right. And There's we, a reason the film industry started in California, Jason. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It, we didn't have any earthquakes, you know. But, well, yeah. And fire. So then it was... So it was like when it would stop raining for 10 seconds, I'd go out and shoot background plates, and then we just shot everything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. You got to do what you got to do sometimes. Yeah, you got to get it finished, right. and, and there's no money to fly people back out twice. No. No. Um, no. Something I can mention about The Gift in relation to that is, I don't know if you noticed it, but in, in the short film The Gift, it's really raining for the whole film. And that, of course, was not intended. Right. We mm. had to we had to work through it, and for a lot of the film, it was okay because we only had to travel in the weather. Um, but for some particular scenes um, that took place um, in and about around this house, um, I mean, our uh, DP and and a lot of our PAs got really soaked. I, I was going to ask you about that because the um, the one scene where it was raining, I'm like, this has to be real rain because it's not that visible. Yeah. Did you lose something? Um, no, I, um, I'm just looking around. I only ask because most people who come in here are looking for something they lost. Something old. Something from the past. Nope. Not me. Just looking. For some place to hide. You look cold. Why don't you come into the back for a hot cup of tea? I was just about to close up anyway. Okay, so coming on with us now is Adam Ginsberg. He played the shopkeeper. I'm sorry, he played the shopkeeper in our first short film, The Gift. Right, and we were just actually talking about the rain. Actually, that added a lot to the ambience of the film because it sort of gave an eerie feel to it for those scenes. Um, so, did that help you as an actor, or or no? Uh, I don't know how much of the rain uh, story Tom disclosed, um, but the rain, <laughs> the rain actually uh, threw threw us into kind of a real uh, rush situation due to the location mm. no longer being available oh, okay. for as much time as was initially planned. So, so it was not um, helpful. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, it, it it may have been, however, because um, in, interestingly enough, I, I had never worked and uh, worked with. Uh, Heather Britton O'Scanlan before and know each other and only had maybe 20 minutes to kind of find our our uh, our chemistry and uh, we literally did it while uh, while uh, Tom uh, was rushing around trying to you know nail down the uh, the rest of the of, of the set and we you know she was in the bathroom changing and I was on the other side of the door basically that was the first time we were actually uh, mm. kind of working together and then we Rehearsing. really just yeah, and then we really just jumped right into it, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a great acting challenge. So, I mean, I think the rain, if it helped in terms of the emotion of the film uh, and, mm -hmm. and what the viewer got out of it, that's fantastic. Um, I can tell you that it probably gave uh, Tom an ulcer 
that day. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, for myself, it was just um, you know I I enjoy what I do and I and I love the the challenge of going out there and doing it. So it was just another situation to sort of um, you know quickly find my way in. You know, if if I could just elaborate on what Adam said a bit, um, the rain. We were shooting in an antique store, which was basically the center um, of the story's plot. And um, the owners of that antique shop uh, had promised us that we could shoot there. And because of the heavy rain, they had a house down um, on the shore, which their neighbors uh, saw was in danger of being flooded by this this storm that we had. And so they called them at the antique shop, and they were going to close the antique shop early and go down there to protect their belongings. Um, that gave us an hour to shoot the central scene in the film, which was basically Adam and Heather's interaction in, in the shop. And so, so much credit goes to Adam and to Heather um, for not only nailing their lines and being prepared, uh, but this was the kind of setting where that because the importance of that is so apparent, you know, when they have to perform and we have under an hour to get this in, and it wasn't just about coming back the next day to shoot or the next weekend. Um, I do some extensive pre-production work, and these two actors were not available to be in the same place at the same time for like another two and a half to three months after that day. So that, that's how booked their schedules were. Um, so because they were so prepared, it saved the production. You know, it, it, it really did. And, and and you've seen the film. I, I, I don't think it hurt the scene at all. I thought they were both excellent. So that was um, just doubly rewarding. Yeah, you, yeah. you'd never know that that was a, a rushed scene watching the film. Well, you, you know, what's oh. interesting is as, as we're working it, it didn't feel rushed. It just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I wasn't concerned about the time. I was just basically there to do it uh, as many times as necessary in the given time frame that we had. So I, I really didn't Mm-hmm. Had the clock on my mind, if that makes any sense. I was the shopkeeper. Somebody had just came in, and you know, I was going to do what I was going to do. <laughs> That's kind of right. how I looked right. at it. So. <laughs> and now you you work on both sides of the camera, right? I don't like another stuff. You've done some producing yeah, and directing, I, and I, I've gotten involved in 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 both sides of the fence, and um, uh, through working with my wife over the years, have uh, you know produced a film festival as well and various events. So. Um, you know, I, I enjoy essentially film as a medium. I absolutely love becoming uh, characters and relieving myself of the daily trials and tribulations of Adam Ginsberg. And, uh, and I just love sinking myself into it. Uh, on the other side of things, I, I love collaborating and, uh, you know, trying to come up with stories or a way to tweak things, you know, so on and so forth. And there's really nothing like being involved in the process of, of, of kind of laying out a scene or, uh, how things should look or feel or how you want uh, the audience to, to take it, you know? Right. Um, I think it's helpful, too, that like you you showing up that prepared, right, and understanding why that might have been important ahead of time. Because, like, I mean, everybody's got a, a nightmare story where somebody just doesn't show up that day. Right. You, you know, right, and they don't know what that throws off. I, I was taught a long time ago, and it's funny, I was taught this by uh, another gentleman who was in this film, uh, Edward X. Young. Uh, Edward told me after he saw me on stage in theater, 
He said, you got to start acting in films. And he kind of took me a little under his wing. And uh, one of the first things he said to me is always show up on time and always show up prepared. And, you know, it's like any other aspect of your life. If you think about it, I mean, you guys go to work every day and regardless of what it is that you do, whether it's film, radio, um, you know, uh, working in the kitchen and, and, and cooking meals or, or driving the truck, whatever it is, it's like if you're doing your job and you want to be uh, happy at what you do, then the easiest way to do that is always show up, you know, on time and, and prepared. All right, well, I take a quick, there we go. I was going to say I want to take a quick break and see who else came on. <laughs> It's uh, Jennifer Giles. Oh, Marcus. Why waste your time with these frivolous endeavors of yours? Frivolous. Since you were a child, you neglected to make any friends, enjoy any family outings, or even develop a romantic relationship with a woman. (laughs) A woman. (laughs) And Jennifer Giles played Mother Jaeger in The Bookworm. Hi, Jennifer. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Um, so we're back. So we're back to the bookworm. Okay. And um, <laughs> we're, on the gift there for, we're on the gift there for a good few minutes, as you heard. Yes. Um, yes. And, and thank you. For I'm by a way. huge fan of Heather's, by the way. She's an incredible actress, producer, everything. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, yes. Okay. Back to me. So, back to you. So. <laughs> Um, so your shots of the book were, I, I, again, we don't want to give too much away, but you, there, there were the two main locations and one of them was the, uh, the house for the, um, the, the family scenes and the other one's the library. And you were basically, you know, in the house scene. Yes. Mm-hmm. Did you get to see the other location? Did you know it? You know, I did, did not, uh, I did not go to the other location. I have seen the film. Um, you've seen the I film, but before but beforehand, did you know basically what you were, you know, talking about? Did you know? Did you know the whole script, or yeah. did he only give you pages? Okay. Oh yeah, no, of course. Yep. I even, you know, even uh, for audition purposes, I always like to read the whole script um, okay. to know what the heck's going on, where I fit in, or where the character fits in, and how other people feel about the character. Um, that's always a, an important piece for me to to know that, so that I know how she might respond to those people. Right. And the, the, the dynamic of this particular, uh, of that particular short um, was kind of classic for these types of anthology stories. You know, the fa- where the family conflict is a, is a big part of the uh, right. impetus for the main character. Mm-hmm. Did, are you a fan of those old kinds of anthology shows? Um. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I have to be honest. You know, as when uh, I met Tom uh, and I, Tom Ryan acted. Um, did we act together first or after? I guess after. Oh yeah. Oh, I saw one. Of, I saw one of his features, and it right. was amazing. And we became uh, friends. And and um, and I always wanted to be in a horror movie. And my mother, my real life mother. Uh, really always wanted to be in a horror movie. And um, so <laughs> that was sort of ingrained in me. And um, and then when I found out this is what, you know, my new friend Tom, this is what he does, um, I was just so excited to be in a horror movie. <laughs> so, you know, as far as to answer your question, um, uh, no, I mean, I'm I'm a fan at, of what films are 
are I'm exposed to. I okay. have to say I don't seek out you know anthology or what you were asking. <laughs> I don't seek that out. <laughs> but um, but I was really excited to you know I didn't have a blood curdling scream, but I got to play uh, sort of a creepy person who you know moved the story along. Yeah. Have you always wanted to let loose with a blood curdling scream? Yes. I would love for my head to be chopped off. We would love off. for you to do that right now. We'll give you a moment to get yourself <laughs> together and and everybody step away from your speakers and then If you're you wearing headphones, loose. take them off. Okay. <laughs> do you really want me to do that? I'll move my uh my head go. my headset away. Okay. All right, you ready? Here we go. Yeah. Tom, remember this for your next film. Okay. I will. Here we go. Wow, I would love that as a stock scream, you know? <laughs> was that all right? That was great. The no in the middle of there? Yeah, yeah. Well, I figured, like, you know, there was the scream, then they was coming towards me, and then he grabbed my hair, and then I was going to get... So I was like, no, don't grab me, no. You know, so that was sort of the whole... There's a whole story right in the scream. Yeah, just in yeah. the, I mean, you could do the scream a million ways. So listen, anything That's you right. write, I'll bring my scream. <laughs> um, yeah, or, you know, because I, I don't know that I'm the person that kills everyone, but that would be fun too. You know, I have friends who do that better than me. Um, I think uh, it would be nice to be surprised. And, uh, well, that's a different kind of scream when you're killing someone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, I think, you know, like Heather could probably kill me. And then I have that, like, you know, I could have that uh, element of surprise, like, oh, shit, how could somebody kill me? You know, um, <laughs> that would be like a good scene, actually. <laughs> that would be really fun. We're writing movies right now. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so another thing I wanted to ask you about, this is film Mother of the Week. Yes. That you produced, directed, started. Stacy has finally found a way to balance everything in her life. A demanding career, a loving husband, <laughs> and her three precious children. Let's chillax. She owes it all to the perfect nanny. Who's that? Oh, that's Marissa, the new nanny. She's great. Oh, she's been with us for like six months now. Oh, look at her. She's so great with the kids. She's a terrific cook. I don't know what I'd do without her. That's the new nanny? This must have been Tim's idea. What? No, he doesn't even notice her. Yeah, I'll bet. Look at that body. I can't compete with that. Thanks. Geez, we're really going to miss Marissa when she's gone on vacation next week. Where's Marissa going? She's going to uh, Costa Rica. Not there. Oh, I'll manage. <laughs> it might be a little much for you to handle. Don't worry about me. I think I can handle my own family. But she's about to find out. She's a little out of practice. Can you drive any faster? No kiss for mommy? Aww. <sighs> I'm limping all over the place. I love you, sweetie. I can't remember anything. I'm sorry. I, I can't do anything right with Caitlin. You're the worst mommy ever. 
I can't cook a decent meal. Mom, That's what happens when you grow old. Oh, I am not growing old. She's in for a mother of a week. I did not direct. I co-wrote the screenplay, wrote the original co-wrote. story, co-wrote the screenplay uh, with a guy named Fred Stropel, who I've known for 20-something years. I was five okay. when I met him. And he um, he and I did comedy together. He's a brilliant writer. But anyway, so I brought him in when I wrote this story. And um, we, my uh, EP and I brought in... Um, a director, so hired a director. So it's not the usual, okay. you know, writer director thing. Um, so yeah, it was a producer, um, writer, uh, lead actress, and it was you know somewhat autobiographical, which was kind of fun um, about a working mom trying to be everything to everybody and um, not really ever getting her shit together, which is normal. Uh, which is real, which is the way we all are, I think. Um, so relatable. Right. Um, yeah. So that was, uh, yeah. And I'm, and so with somebody else directing, that had, that had to be interesting because like, you wrote the part with yourself in mind, right? Yes. But then you have somebody else helping to tell you how to play the part you wrote for yourself. Yeah. Well, you know, having the outside I, I mean, uh-huh. this guy, his name is Lee Davis, uh, really um, talented director. He's out in L.A. and uh, he, he's from here though, and um, he came back, um, and to just get his, you know, he added so much to it. Sometimes you don't even know, you know. Sometimes you don't know as an actor everything that you're doing, and sometimes you don't know as a writer everything that you're doing. So. Um, I I really love having that other eye. Um, also, the editor. I mean, I oh my god. I don't know about you filmmakers that are on the call right now, but uh, the editor could just make you funny, make you make that's you cry. We, make did you already talk about that? That's why we edit our own stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, no. I feel like. Well, well, if you trust them and they, you know, to me, like my world, my, my last couple of years has been a lot of, um, drama, not, I mean, on screen and off, unfortunately, but in, <laughs> as an actress, I've been doing more dramatic things. Um, but comedy is really what I, you know, uh, where it sits, you know, deep in my heart. I mean, I like to, I like to do the other stuff too, but, but the, um, so for an editor to actually write a joke, another joke on top of what you've written as a writer or acted as the actress, you know, I mean, they can do, they could do a lot of damage, but they can also save you. Okay. Uh, just calling in now is Sarah Schutz and she played Lara in the bookworm. And I thought that maybe we could sit and quietly read together. That sounds wonderful, actually. But I'm sorry, I need to attend a family affair this evening. It's my father's memorial, and if I'm not there... Oh, no, I I totally understand. It's quite all right, Mark. Maybe another time. Well, 
What about tonight? I mean, I can try to cut my visit short. Tonight, then. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Sarah. So we were just talking about the bookworm a couple of minutes ago, and we were uh, speaking to Jennifer about her role in that, and now your role in that is on the other side of it. You're actually in the library scenes. <laughs> we don't want to give away too much of the movies, but your your character in that is kind of, um, you know, you're, you're the enigmatic <laughs> character. Yeah, you're the you're the you're right. the the mystery, the enigma in the movie. Um, how how did you decide to play that? How did Tom have you play that? What you know? How did you make uh, yourself mysterious and and not at the same time? <laughs> so I guess it's uh, hard to answer that question without giving away too much of the movie, but. Um, Tom gave me uh, a little, like, the history of where my character originally came from, uh, the backstory, and how I am at the point where you meet Lara uh, in the movie. Uh, so, and I have my own uh, uh, needs and wants, and uh, I, I'm going to find a way to get them without also it being totally... Uh, how do I say this? It's so hard to not give away the movie, but uh, yeah, I have, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? So, like, it's, like, it's like, I have things that I want to do within the movie, but it's also uh, relatively innocent at the same time. So I think that's where kind of the mystery comes into play. Uh, and I'm not sure if she's even fully in contact with where she came from, like necessarily her whole past, which has brought her to where she's at now. So that's also where the mystery is. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. And when people see the movie, that'll all make perfect sense. So now they have to see the movie. You've done, you've done everything. You've done shorts, you've done features, you've done TV episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a format in those that, that you prefer? A format? In every, like, do you, do you like features? Do you like the, the way shorts go? Cause you get to really get into the meat of it or. I, prefer doing features just because it gives you uh, more time to really like dig into the character and like you spend more time as the character. Um, a lot of times with shorts, uh, you really just, I mean, you have to anyway, but you show up prepared, you have your lines and you just do it and you're out and sometimes a day. And so, uh, and, and then you're just like, oh, I want it to last longer. Like Bookworm was so much fun. Like all of the characters were so spectacular. And so, um, and so very unique and interesting within their own right. So I like I like if there was some way this could have been like a feature and like you know dig into the characters more and their backstories. I think it would have been pretty neat. But but yeah, like that's my I pre I prefer features generally because it gives you more time to you know live in the character skin. See, and I never thought of that from an actor's standpoint. That like with a short, you actually can miss the character because you only get to be them for like you said like well, a day yeah. or two. Well, yeah, and I think with this 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 particular short, we had a, a little bit of time building up to actually filming it. So, you know, memorizing it, kind of forming your character within, like, how you perceive it, but how Tom wants it, and, um, you know, preparing all the uh, wardrobe, and we were working on this one portrait, and, like, all these different things that kind of went into play. So, like, I kind of had the time to kind of, like, marinate within it. But then we shot it, and it was, like, bam, done. <laughs> and we're like, oh, <laughs> so... 
a lot of the stuff on, that, that you've done, it looks like, is kind of in that horror mystery genre. Right. Is that yes. a genre uh, you're attracted to, or you think there's just a lot of that getting made? Uh, no, there's actually, uh, I was fortunate enough to fall into Gut uh, as one of the supporting roles, and that ended up becoming a, an official selection over 20 film festivals internationally and from that I got my role in Phobia because um, there uh, the editor on gut was made his first feature so then Phobia did really well and uh, and yeah it kind of snowballed from there and now I'm an advocate for telling actresses don't avoid horror because like once they decide that they like you that you will continuously get work and and it's good work and I feel I'm, I'm very adamant about how the horror has a stigma attached to it but there's some incredibly talented filmmakers within the horror genre and it doesn't necessarily mean that people are just getting hacked to death and dying like a lot of times it's just character study where like or suspense or something like that and that you know it's not necessarily something that people need to avoid the it's spectacular acting, editing, directing, writing. So, yeah, that's generally my take on horror. <laughs> yeah, there are some amazing filmmakers in horror. <laughs> yeah. Not to be too, too self-serving with that. Um, so calling in is Scott Gorbach, and he played the lead in the bookworm, Mark Yeager. Mark Yeager. Oh, I purchased the library at a auction last week. Mr. Yeager, it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, yes, if I may. Hi, Scott. Welcome aboard. Oh, so, Scott, you were on the set, and uh, one of the first things your, your character, you know, discovers that really sets up the, the mood for this is going to be, you know, um, a horror movie and that you're in an unusual situation is, is that slime. Right. Um, and they did it as a practical effect. What was that stuff like to work with? Like, was it... Absolutely. So, without giving too much of the plot of the movie away, I will say the slime was incredibly sticky and incredibly cold. I think the special effects guy told me what it was made of on set, but I think I was a little too distracted with the content of the scene to remember quite what it was. It, it's funny because I've had to use slime on so many actors. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and um, I, I always try different stuff, you know. And yeah, cold is a complaint I, think you I put get a lot. Hair gel on me. I did hair gel on you. You did hair gel on me. I did hair gel on you. I did, I did hair gel and baby shampoo on Christina. And the funniest thing about that one was when I, when we're spraying it on her because it was like shooting from the alien's tentacle. It gets in her hair, and Jesse's like, "Oh my God, I'm sorry, I got it in your hair." I'm like, "It's hair gel." <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's, it's, the, it's, that's the one place right, right? <laughs> just, just don't get it in her eyes and we're okay yeah <laughs> oh, um, oh yeah well I think I'm grateful that it wasn't hair gel because it wasn't quite that sticky I might be I might prefer cold to sticky yeah some people have, have a real problem with sticky and then that's where you know um we, we try to come up with other stuff. Like I have one actor who could not stand, like he'd freak out with Sticky, which was good for horror because, you know, we could give him a real yeah, uncomfortable right look. But but we didn't get to work with him again for months after that. <laughs> but, uh, but so then my other question, and this this would go to, um, to you and Sarah both, that library location was amazing. It really was gorgeous. 
How many, you know, I, I guess Tom can answer this too, but how many days did you guys have to work there? One. Um, Tom, did you want to pick up that? Yeah, just, just one day. Um, just one day. So, so you didn't even have, like, know, pickup days separate from them? Um, I, I, I did not. Um, so technically speaking, I did not. Now, there were some – I did go back to the library after we shot to take some photographs of, of, of a few things that I used in particular scenes. Um, that – I wouldn't necessarily call those pickup shots. They were more just kind of – just things I just kind of wanted to have in case I needed them. But no, every shot, every shoot that we've done, um, I'm sorry, every short film that we've done for this anthology so far has only taken two days to shoot each short. Wow. That, so, so the rain thing rushing you through the one was one thing. But this, so this was like... Um, this was planned very well. This was planned, yeah. Like you had to have everything. So... As actors, did you guys feel like, you know, it was better to just kind of walk in and, and get used to the set, you know, the location, and then go with it? Or would you have liked to have been around a little bit more? Well, for me personally, I think that, um, you know, Mark bought the place by auction. My character bought the place on, on auction. He, he didn't necessarily ever see it in person. He could have seen pictures. Um, it seemed like... The moment when my character got the key into the library was kind of, um, you know, I, I think that Mr. Simmons, the character who originally sold me the library, is very protective of who is allowed inside this library. And so when Mark walks in for the first time, I think he is seeing it for the first time. And so as an actor, I would not have wanted to spend too much time there, especially because the place was so strikingly beautiful with huge windows and huge, gorgeous pictures. And the whole place was wood. You know, modern-day libraries are all metal shelves. And, and so it, it helped a lot to be able to kind of take it in for the first time, um, you know, relatively soon after I did see it for the first time for real. Yeah, okay. My character, I think, was uh, much more uh, familiar with the library. Uh, right. and, but... Uh, based on uh, the schedule for shooting that day, I actually had plenty of time to uh, get used to the library and even spent a part of the time shooting sleeping on one of the chairs <laughs> 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 well, while Scott was covered in slime. Uh, so, yeah, it worked out well for both of us in terms of uh, the schedule of the shoot. So, <laughs> All right. You're yeah. trying to keep... So... Let me let me ask. Um, well, let's introduce Sienna. Sure. Hello. So calling in now is Sienna Rita, and she played Susan Yeager, the sister of Mark, in our short film, The Bookworm. God, look at this place! Oh, it's like an old warehouse. Whatever in the world would you need a space like this for? Look at this, hardly any light. Oh. God, and the smell, the smell is atrocious. Hello. Hello, welcome aboard. Um, so now your character kind of introduces us to um, the Mark character's family. Yes, we're kind of awful. You're kind of, and, and 
Am I right in thinking that you played that a little over the top? Um, you know, I, I really felt that she was kind of an over-the-top character. Um, Tom really kept me in line. I probably would have gone farther. Um, yeah. I saw her as a little bit more refined, and I have to agree in in the retrospect with his perception, but I, I probably would have gone a little bit nastier with her had I had my druthers. But um, okay. if, I, if I can just really quick address the last question about the library that you stated, mm -hmm. um, I wish I could have had more time there. I am an ex-English teacher and a literature teacher, so being around those books was like, oh, I want to live here, but my character hated it. And it was so hard <laughs> to, to hate it. That one line, you know, the, oh, the smell, and I'm like, library smell, fantastic. Exactly. Oh. Like, this is like one of those arousing smells for me, and I've got to, like, you know, trounce it. It was so hard. <laughs> so that's the kind of place that you would just visit on, on your day off. Exactly. And exactly. spend time at yeah. Um, for, for your character, did you um, reference any other characters, you know, from other shows and stuff you saw? Because, like, to me, she was a classic Twilight Zone character. I agree. Um, you know, I kind of saw her as one of those throwback characters, that she's kind of an anachronism. You know, she really thinks that she's a little bit better than she is. And um, I really kind of pulled off of characters in my own family, believe it or not, <laughs> who have that trait that, I, that drives me insane. You've always got to be careful with that. You're like, it's, it's probably the people that don't listen to me anyway. When oh, I do yeah, interviews, right? Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Sienna, you're a dancer. Um, is that right? I'm a. What's I'm that? An everything. I'm a dancer. I'm a singer. I'm an actor. Um, I'm a public speaker. I'm also a sex educator and uh, a tea party aficionado. So. <laughs> tea party aficionado. I saw in that character. Yeah, right? In fact, it was, I was so thrilled when Tom was like, you know that hat that you were in those pictures wearing for Easter? I want you to wear that for the character. And I'm like, you got it. <laughs> so just see, to see, clarify, see. by Tea Party, you don't mean political affiliation. You mean actually drinking tea in a hat. You have no idea how many people actually ask me that question. That, that. Just to clarify. <laughs> the, second, the second you said tea party, I went straight to, so I bet she owns that hat. Yes, I own that hat <laughs> and many others. <laughs> That's fantastic. You got you guys, I'm trying to figure out, with the, the three of you were never in a scene together. The three of us, no, but we did do a lot of hanging out backstage. Oh. Oh my God, I, I have to tell you, I love this cast. Like, I wish we all lived closer because we would so hang out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was one of the things, too. So where did you guys shoot, like, um, state-wise? It was New Jersey, and I, I'm from Long Island. So okay. it was a little bit of a hike for me, but worth every moment. Yeah, the entire yeah. anthology has been shot in New Jersey. I um, thought I detected that kind of accent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and some of the characters, yeah. Okay. I'm a Bronx boy myself, so. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm watching, and I'm like. It's a little Hamptons, New England in her accent. So it's a little bit on the 
almost kind of snotty British side, but not really. <laughs> not not quite not quite Massachusetts. Not quite Massachusetts. Not a little Boston baked beans, you know, but just a little snotty. <laughs> you know, is it the the two that I saw were like just perfect examples of of anthology stuff. Oh, it's a brilliant concept. It's a brilliant concept. Tom is such a visionary when it comes to this type of uh, filming, and what a prize, because he is so organized, and everything goes so smoothly, um, and his vision is very well translated to what he wants so that we can all be a part of that vision and understand it, um, which is really a gift for the actor, I have to say. Well, thank you. <laughs> I love you. She just wants to shoot in that library again, man. <laughs> yeah, no idea. That library spoke to my heart. For anyone listening, it was the Glenridge Public Library and Jennifer Brewer, um, the person that I spoke to who was in charge of you know, granting us permission. Obviously, she had to go through um, the board of uh, the board, or I don't know what they trustees or whatever they are, but they um, they approved it and uh, they were very welcoming to us. And what's what's really great about shooting at a location like that, um, and and now here's something that none of the actors have told you that you're going to find incredibly amazing. We shot at the library while it was open, and there were customers in there reading books while we were shooting. That was movie. great. Oh my god! Uh, free extras, yeah. free extras, free extras. But what's so funny? Is people <laughs> well, like we didn't have any extras in the movie, so oh <laughs> we them. Um, right. So. Uh, it's funny because, like, when you need extras, you can never find them, right? And then when you have a scene exactly. where you need it to look isolated, <laughs> you've got cars going by, and I, yeah. I forget what movie it was. I it's like found what? a way to like get them in there somehow. I don't know, pan across. <laughs> well, if if you don't mind, I'd like to pose a question to Scott and to Sarah about sure um, when when you guys were when you guys were doing the scenes that we shot, and there were. Um, there, and there were people walking in the library, um, and you know, obviously, we kept them away from you for the certain few shots that we had to do while you did your dialogue. But did that affect your performances to know that you weren't only on set with 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 crew and and cast that are used to making mistakes or flubbing a line or get or just let's do it again, let's take it or, or did it create a little extra anxiety for you to have these people kind of creeping around, peeking around the shelves and looking at what you were doing? Um, um, I, I, I think I'm kind of used to it just because I've done a lot of exterior shots with, uh, you know, people. I mean, we'd have to, like, you know, hold for, like, people walking down the street with a stroller and stuff. And then, of course, they would stop and they'd just wait. There was this, uh, we were just filming um, Study Party with Manny. And uh, this one woman, she literally stayed from, like, the beginning of the shoot to the end of the shoot and then forced us to all take a group picture at the end. She was like our little, like we had like one, a one person fan club by the end of the shoot. So, <laughs> so I, I think it's kind of used to it. Uh, but, but it was fun. The, the staff of the library was so incredible and kind. And they like, with like the screening afterwards, it was so nice to be able to speak with everyone and, I think at one point someone's cell phone went off during shooting, but they don't know any better. So, like, it was just kind of cute. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was yeah. me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you know that. My cell phone went off because I forgot to turn it off. 
<laughs> the staff was very, very helpful, though. I remember them them even finding books they might that they suggested to Tom that they thought might be good for inserts, just uh, as books on the shelves to fit the theme of the movie. Yeah, I, I love the some of the book choices. Great, yeah, that's a great point, Scott. That yeah, they they were responsible for every book that we focused on um, that did tie in with the plot in some way, shape, or form were actually handpicked by the library staff and uh, I thought added that was another so aesthetic to the film that made it great. Yeah, and every single book had a great had a great title. I, they found the perfect ones. That's neat, yeah, because it's um, th- that was a subtle thing to watch for too, is the book title. Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah, I kind of kind of introduce each new chapter of the short in a way of what did we, like mm-hmm. what was about to happen next, which was yeah, it was really great. Yeah. Now, one of the things I loved about it was the intelligent hints. You know, nothing was overly blatant, but if you knew what to look for and you had a, a background to find the little hints and the subtle um, little details that would give you a hint to the story. It was just, it was a beautiful thing. I, I love those hidden intelligent hints that just make make it so round. Yeah, what, one of my favorite parts of, of the film that really sets the stage about who Mark Yeager is, is after entering the library, um, there's a scene where he turns the lamp on the table um, uh, but prior to turning it on, he hangs a small um, sign over the switch on the light that says, I cannot live without books, uh, a quote from Thomas Jefferson. And that was not in the script. I was at the library at the location communicating with uh, Jennifer there about the shoot. Uh, I do a lot of that communication at, with, the, with my location managers in, in pre-production, and we're discussing the shoot. and. She had that lamp and that sign sitting on her lamp by the door. And I said, oh, my God, this is this is Mark Yeager's lamp, and this is his little sign. And it just, um, it just to me, was such an important part of, of setting that stage about who he is and what his obsession was um, in life as opposed to the material things his family were obsessed with and what he was obsessed with was knowledge. And um, I just thought it was, you know, these are things that you can't, you, uh, yeah, and that's sometimes necessarily you could pre-plan them, but these are the kind of things that when they happen, um, it just makes you feel really good about a project. It, it just feels like everything is falling into place, and it really felt mm-hmm. that way when we when we stumbled upon this. And again, they were so gracious at the library, and you know, any everything that they had was at our disposal. So that it, it just helped really dress up the characters and, and set the stage for who they were. Yeah, it was it's such gr- a great addition for me, too, as an actor, because that was the only item that Mark brought into the library. That was the only item that we ever saw that was his. And um, and having them provide that and it be such an appropriate thing, it just I, I had the same sense that it really just tied everything together. Yeah. yeah. It's great when a location, like, speaks to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah. and... Because so, so often as, as independents, you you know you're forced to shoot around what you what you envisioned. Yeah. You know, well, so I, it's I, like I scouted about between eight and ten libraries before we settled on this one. Um, and as Scott had mentioned before, um, 
most libraries now are very modernized. And none of them had that feeling of an old library that would be around for many years and decades and maybe even a century. Who knows? Right. Um, but that, that library, as you saw in the film, looks at the description. I mean, the moment I walked in, um, there's a shot in the library where Scott looks up at the painting of the former owners of the library. And those were really the people that, those were really the former owners of the library. Um, and I just looked up at those paintings and I was just, when I first walked into that place and I was just blown away just by the atmosphere in there. And it was, like you said, it just spoke to me. The second you walked in, I knew we were going to shoot there. Uh, it was just a matter of how friendly and receptive are the staff going to be? Because when I scouted the locations, I didn't give anyone a heads up. I just walked in and started taking pictures of libraries. Um, and then I finally approached these people and said, this is what where I want to shoot. And luckily for us, they were incredibly receptive to the idea of doing an indie film there. Um, and I, for, I forgot to mention, I think Sarah mentioned that we did a screening there. Um, they, they made me promise that we would screen the film there when it was done. And I think I turned the film around in about, well, about three weeks after we shot it, edited it, fully edited it and, and, and such, and we scheduled the screening there. Um, that we had in October, though. We, we, we scheduled it far ahead of time because they wanted it around Halloween, I believe. And, uh, that was so cool. It was, it was really fun. We had a great turnout. Um, it was a huge turnout from the town, the locals. Not indie horror fans, not, not people that just, just people that lived in the area that heard about it and they came out. And, um, they were incredibly supportive and they, and they loved the film. And that was a great feeling to do that. And I love interacting with the community on that level. Um, and not just being in that box of like, well, I'm only going to show this to indie horror fans or what have you. I like to show these films to as many people, um, as are willing to see it because you never, especially with the, the tone of our films, I think they are, they are a larger audience would be receptive to it rather than a, a, a niche audience. Yeah, it's got a broader appeal than, than, than some of the, um, you know, the, then, well, it's definitely got a broader appeal than, you know, the, the boobs and bloods formula type of movies. Yeah. That's so many, that, yeah. That's so many people start out with, well, that, that, you know, in the 90s, it, that was all the rage. Tad. That right. was Tad. Kids, Well, what's, what did you say? <laughs> that was Tad film. Tad. Kids, Tap, and Guns. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Come on, Jason. No, boobs and blood is hard. Your films were action. All right, fair. Fair, fair, fair. All right, that's fair. I'll, I'll go with that. Hey, Tom, I wanted to ask you, you had um, your start in acting, um, so you've done a lot of low-budget horror films. Acting-wise, what was your uh, impetus for crossing over and getting into production and directing? So so since I was younger, um, I my love of film started at a very young age, and we, me and a few friends of mine that are still involved in current productions we do a lot of VHS movies, and we loved horror movies. Because, <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess we. I guess it wouldn't make sense for like three, you know, pre-pubescent uh, teens to make a, a drama. Like we were just like, all right, we got to either make right. a horror movie. Like there had to be violence, and there had, we just, you know, and so we had a lot of Halloween masks, and we stab each other with rubber knives, and create these little stories. And, <laughs> and I was involved in the writing of those stories. Um, but I was always, as a kid, I was really um, just totally smitten with directors like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. 
um, and Sam Raimi and God, and I just really, for me, my love of films was the incredible creativity that goes into making things look so realistic that you believe in a film when you're watching it. You get lost in a film. And for me, that was on so many levels as far as, you know, acting techniques for special effects artists, and especially back then, the practical effects. And when I used to see behind-the-scenes practical effects works on a film like The Howling or The Thing or Empire Strikes Back, I was so amazed and blown away when I saw sets for Raiders of the Lost Ark um, or Jaws and the shark in the ocean and Steven Spielberg, like, laying in his mouth and posing for a picture. I was so blown away that there were, so, there were these two completely different realities on both sides of the camera and when you're, you know, from what you're watching in the, in the film and in the, the creative process. And so I was always really taken by that creative process and that really, that's why I want to make films. Um, the reason I get behind the camera is because if I'm going to, I mean, I have to, I have to be the one making films. I'm not going to rely on other people to work with. There's ideas that I have, there's things I want to do. Um, acting is great. I love acting. It's a lot of fun for me. I love acting, especially when I'm not involved in the production, because there's so much work that goes into the production that, and this is not to take any way, anything again, away from the hard work of the actors. Um, but there's so many things on my mind on a single production besides just directing. You know, I'm not just the director in my films. I'm a producer. I'm sometimes the effects guy. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the gopher. I'm, the, you know, it, it really, right. and there's so many things that I'm worried about. And so when somebody casts me in a film and they're not asking me to help them make the film, I just have to show up and do lines and get into character. I love doing that as well. Um, but the creative process for me is fun because I have so many talented people I know and I love to see them in parts that make them shine and, and doing things I know they could do well. But for me, it's so rewarding putting together a cast like I had with Scott and Sarah and Sienna and uh, Jen and, uh, and, and, and Patrick, who played, the, um, who played Mr. Simmons. Just having people like that and putting them into parts where I feel like that's this is how they shine. You know, you get to a point when you're writing the script, I'm, I'm already casting in my head. So with the exception, mm -hmm. of, the exception of Scott, I had basically cast these characters already. When I was writing Lara, I already, I had already pictured Sarah delivering the line. So I tried to write to their strengths and, 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 and put them in the limelight. And I really enjoy that part of filmmaking is to see them become those characters. It makes me feel like, I've served them well, and we're all getting like the maximum amount of their talent on screen, and it's that it, that's really a rewarding process for me. And just living in horror movies, I love it. So you mentioned that you like doing the VHS movies, and I noticed that you had done a film called Vicious Thunder. I wanted to ask you: Is this a remake of a film that was made in 1984? You're trying to tell me that you cleanse the world by dealing illegal arms? People need to know the truth. The truth of what I stand for. We are here for justice. Remember, we're all alive.
We're not leaving this place without you. I'll kill you, you son of a bitch! Call off your girls, Raynor. We have nothing to do with this. You have everything to do with this. As long as you have me in your possession. We have an emergency situation here. Or no. I noticed that you had a sort of play on the Betamax trailer, and, and anyone that knows what Betamax is knows that that's a very dated VHS era type thing. <laughs> so, that's a really funny movie to bring up. So, number one, I have nothing to do with um, Vicious Thunder except that I was an actor. I play a sleazy lawyer in it. Um, right, right. Which was, which was really a lot of fun for me. Um, the, 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 the filmmaker that uh, did Vicious Thunder is Bradley Crianzo. Um, he is big into retro VHS, 80s action movies. <laughs> um, if you see this movie, it's all uh, 80s uh, graphics on screen. The music is all right. 80s action music. He's big into that. It was a lot of fun um, making that film, and he plays the star in it, who is um, who's uh, some criminal mastermind, and I'm his sleazy lawyer. And I get to die in the film, which is a lot of fun, too. Um, and it was a real change for me to be an, uh, a, a sleazy lawyer because usually in films I'm always playing some kind of a trucker dude or whatever, or, you know, somebody in a bar or what have you, or a killer um, uh, or a zombie or whatever. Uh, and this was kind of cool because I got to wear the suit and, and, and shave and, and have a short haircut and, and just act like a real jerk, and that was a lot of fun. <laughs> I like that we've gotten to a point where, you know, shaving and a haircut makes us jerks. <laughs> yeah. I grew up with the long hair and the beard, and that used to be what we were told not to do, you know? Right. Uh, uh, and and now those are the guys who are the jerks. We knew it all along, those of us who, who the, the, the exactly. beard pioneers. Um, now the beard is sexy. Exactly. But you you had mentioned how you wrote the parts with, with people in mind. I feel so bad for one of my actors because uh, her name's Michelle, and I knew this this one role I was going to have her playing, and now the movie's gone on to like a sequel. And in the script, I just put her name because I'm like, I'll change it later. And, you know, and now she's basically just named Michelle in all the movies because I never got around to changing it before we started shooting. And I feel like that was just so lazy that you know she's she's not really playing herself. The character is not her, but you know. I, I'm guilty of doing that in some cases. I have I have some shorts, um, this last short that we're working on. We actually have a couple of characters whose names are never mentioned in the film. So in the script, their names are just their real names uh, because it wasn't really necessary to have a character name for that. And I'd already kind of started casting them um, in the parts. Um, one thing I wanted to add real quickly is that Scott, I said with the exception of Scott, uh, Scott was the second actor I went to, um, and it came as a recommendation from another actress that we know. And uh, it's so funny because I could never see the actor that I had originally cast for this part playing the part now that Scott has done it. Uh, he was phenomenal, um, and and we were having some difficulty uh, with, with our first choice, um, as, as far as him relating to the kind of character it was and how to play it, and uh, Scott was a national and came and he knocked it out of the ballpark. He sent me a he sent me a um, a uh, audition uh, clip and 
you just, I mean, I mean, the first couple of words came out of the first scene. It was, it was, it was perfect. And it's great because, uh, Scott is just, uh, he, he was great on set. He was great to work with. And he also assisted us in our third short film by coming on and doing audio for us, uh, on the film. So it just kind of shows the effort that he puts into the indie community. And, uh, these things, they work, they work out in such a great way. And I'm sure that we're going to be working together, Scott, in the near future. I wouldn't worry about that. Uh, because I hope so. Yeah, these are the kind of people I like to continue working with that are just really, they know what it's about, they, they know what their part is, and, and uh, they make these experiences very enjoyable. I think, I think everybody on the phone or on the line at some point has worked on an indie film that was very unenjoyable or that was just yeah. uh, an here, experience here. that could ruin <laughs> it for you. It was an honor. Yeah. But I think yeah. these films, like, we're having a lot of fun making these films um, with these people, because um, we all get it. We all get it. We're, we all get what we're here to do. And, uh, and and when that happens, I think you make a film like The Bookworm, um, that, you know, or The Gift, or Abducted, where you can see it. It translates on screen. And uh, it's great that everyone has a great time, because it just opens up your resources for people that you can count on in the future. Now, if I ask them to come on to another film, I think they know what they're getting into, and I know what I'm getting when I ask them. And that's that's a great relationship to, to have and maintain. Since I asked you to cast Bookworm, then like it was, uh, then Mark put all of us back together in in his short film. So it was almost like a Bookworm reunion. So. That's right. My my um, my my deep seat for the Bookworm, the great Mark Futros, um, he went on to write a short film called Dutch, uh, that that Scott Gorbach stars in. And um, Sarah is also in the film. And um, Patrick, that played Mr. Simmons, is also in the film. And, and my producer, Todd Saruch, is producing. So I found out that he's doing this film. And so what a lot of people didn't see was my communications with, Scott, uh, with Mark behind the scenes, basically telling him I'm very insulted. He didn't ask me to direct. <laughs> because he uh, <laughs> took my entire cast and crew from my film. <laughs> and, and then he went out and hired some other directors. But Mark is great, and uh, but it, it is a testament to how well everybody worked together, and Mark was part of that formula, and it's cool. I mean, that makes me happy when I see him doing a short film, and I see Scott getting work, and Sarah getting work, and, and uh, uh, Danielle uh, Nazarian, who's in my film, The Gift, she gets work on the film, I, and, and, and my producer, Scott, is now producing another film. I love to see that, because I know that our film was a catalyst to make that happen. These people form relationships, they trust each other, now they go on to have another great experience. And that's what you want to happen. That's exactly what you want to do. You want to build on that. Because, like I said, you just have a resource of great people that you can reach out to when you need them and you know what to expect.
It's my pleasure, Donna. It's not often I have a visitor as interesting as yourself in my store. It's not often I have many visitors in my store. <laughs> now, why don't you tell me about yourself? I... Um... Uh, I... I... Oh, no, 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 no. Don't cry, I'm, Donna. I didn't mean to hurt him. I just... Attacked me, and I mean, I know I offered, but then he, he grabbed me, and I panicked, and I, 